Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Stuart Davis, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. I'm really glad to be with you. Appreciate well, this it. Going, this is going to be fun. Stuart Davis, AIA is the Principal Architect and Design Director at CG&S Design Build in Austin, Texas. We're going to be in Austin in November for our annual meeting conference, our first conference. I'm excited about that. Um, CG&S is a company specializing in significant residential renovations. And uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Design Build, maybe. We'll see where it goes. Before we do that, Stuart, I want to know more about you. I want to know about you as an architect. When did you discover your passion for architecture and maybe who or what inspired you to become an architect? Okay. Well, you know, everyone loves to talk about themselves. So, you know, (laughs) stop me if I go too, too far. Um, I think I started um, really being um, interested in architecture way back when I was a young lad uh, building with building sets, Legos and other things like that. Um, uh, you know, there were various kinds of construction sets in those Did days. Did you have so a, I, an erector set? Yeah, I had an erector set. The yeah, metal I had ones? Three or yeah. four kinds. Yeah, with the screws and all that. Uh, this was back in the mid 60s, you know. Um, and then I had a, a, you know, sort of a bad habit of drawing and doodling and, you know, just sort of sketching things when I was supposed to be paying attention in class. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then when I got to high school, um, drafting was available, you know, uh, with T squares and triangles and pencils and things like that. Did they call it, um, did they call it drafting or, or mechanical drawing or it was called, they drafting? called it, they called it drafting. Yep. And I figured out a way to take drafting for four consecutive years. This is back in what they used to, they, they used to, we used to have this thing called the quarter system yeah. where, so, you know, it wasn't semester. Anyway, you weren't supposed to take more than a year or two of drafting for credit, but somehow I figured out how to do it. And so every quarter, every, every year I took drafting and I just loved, I mean, my passion for this started with just the, the interest in drawing the physical act of drawing and using tools and using my hands to figure things out, you know, this is way before CAD, of course. So, you know, people ask me that a lot. It's like, when did you know you were, you know, born to be an architect? It's like, it's not that profound. <laughs> it's really not. It's just, I, I just like this environment, you know? And so when I got out of high school, I was advised to either go into civil engineering or architecture, and I chose architecture. Is that where you discovered architecture, or did you know that there was a profession called architecture before that moment in high school? Um, you know, I knew, I, of course, I knew of the profession, and there was a, a guy or two in, in our drafting class whose dads were architects, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any direct relationship with, with the with the profession whatsoever. You know. Yeah. Um, so I just happened to choose architecture, you know, because I, that seemed to be, I, I couldn't imagine myself being an engineer. Um, that was a good choice. <laughs> um, so, so I started at Texas A&M back in the fall of 1978 and transferred out of there midway through and then finished up at the University of Texas at Austin and graduated in 83 from there. And at that point, um, you know, I became sort of a reluctant ar intern architect because I had to take a huge pay cut. Um, from what I was doing, I was working for a you know pretty large supermarket chain. Being a manager, going into architecture was was worse than getting worse pay than being a, a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a shock, you know. But you know, so one thing I'll remember about college was you know it's a lot of design driven stuff. But after four and a half years, there was a class called professional practice. And that was the first time that we ever got <laughs> got the word of, hey, here's what it's really like to be in this profession. You know, it's a lot of hours, a lot of work, and it's not very well paid. Sorry. You know, of course, there's exceptions to that rule. I've made a very good living from it. But it was kind of funny how the practical side of it just wasn't really uh, supported. Yeah. That you was know? very much so. a, a, a part of the culture of architecture for generations that that, mm. that lesson in architecture school, that if you're in it for the money, get out, right? And, right. and uh, you know, personally, I think that's, that's a really rough message to be sending architects. Uh, and I think it really has permeated the profession for generations as architects became architects. Well, I agree. And I, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You know, I mean, architects are usually, I'm making a generalization, they're just terrible business people. Right, because they never got trained to do it. Right, right, right. That's why Entree Architect exists to try to well, that, help, help them learn thing. those things. Yeah, I'm behind you. You know, because the best thing that you can do, I mean, you have to have talent and dedication and all that. But one of the best things you can do is to just learn how to run a business. For right. God's sakes, how do you charge what you're worth? Yeah, yeah. You know, for sure. Yeah. And somehow we didn't get that message. You know. Yeah. So, so you were so you were in um, professional practice class, pro practice class. 
they taught you all those things and, and what happened from there? Yeah. And then everybody's looking, everybody's looking around the room going, wait, wait a minute. Uh, maybe this should have been the first semester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little late now. Thanks. Yeah, a little late sort now. I got involved. four years into it. <laughs> well, anyway, I got out of there and uh, started uh, interning for a firm in San Antonio, actually, because it was kind of a rough time for the profession. You know, I've seen a lot of ups and downs being in this, being doing this for over, well, 83 to almost 40 years, you know? So, uh, Anyway, uh, one of my professors at UT hired me into his firm to, to, to work. And so that was a great uh, uh, entry into the field. Didn't know anything about it. Uh, another thing I should have done back in the school days was it was to intern for or a summer job or something with a, with a real firm, you know, but I didn't do that. And so I was coming in completely cold. So yeah. anyway, so, so what lot. happened when you did that? Why was that a bad, a bad choice? Um, because, you know, the, the act of being in an office and the act of working with people on real projects is much different than being in school. Yeah. And so, you know, to make myself useful was difficult in those first few months or years, you know. So, uh, I don't know, the early and I, I think this has changed, Mark, recently, not recently, but since I got out of school, which is a long time ago. I think that the universities, the schools of architecture really do encourage more. Uh, internships and getting out there and working for firms, which is great. You know, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. And so. some, of, and some of the architecture schools are providing a little bit more realistic education on business, especially UT Austin. That's one of the schools that actually does have some, some guidance on the business side of architecture. Uh, mm-hmm. Most schools don't. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's also a, a strike against the architecture schools and I get it. Architecture schools are there to teach us how to think about architecture and how to think like architects. Uh, right. They don't have time to teach us business. The intern program, the AC, I forget what they call it now, the AXP right now yeah. is supposed to teach you all that, but it doesn't teach you there either. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the firms aren't doing that job either. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be nice if, if uh, students got a little bit more, a little more background on, on business. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, anyway, worked there for a while and then made my way back to Austin because we have, uh, we had a baby and then we had two more babies. We had twins. And so we needed some family assistance. So <laughs> we came back, uh, in the mid in mid eighties and basically have been here ever since, uh, doing this crazy profession. Um, first decade or so I was, you know, working for a straight up architecture firm doing, uh, mainly healthcare architecture, uh, which was a regional practice, you know, Austin and, and surrounding counties essentially. Um, and right around 94, I somehow became sort of burned out on that, um, or just didn't have the same motivation doing, uh, hospital work or clinics or nursing homes. And so, um, that's kind of when I started questioning, you know, what am I doing this for? What's the purpose behind this? What's, you know, what, you know, I don't know if I can want to do this, continue to do this because it's, in those days, uh, it was like get or done. Um, Seventy-hour weeks were not seventy-eight-hour weeks were not out of the question for an extended period of time. Lots of overtime, yeah, which I don't think happens today um, as much. But you know, it didn't. It did the firm a lot of good. Didn't do me me very much good. <laughs> right, right. So, kind of at the same time. Um, well, a little more background. Uh, I married. Uh, in 83 and my wife's mom and dad uh, ran a construction company, Uh, uh, you know, literally mom and pop 
out of the off the kitchen table, uh, you know, remodeler here in Austin. Uh, and then uh, she had seven siblings. There were five boys in that family. There are five boys and all of them were in the business. And so truly it was, you know, a completely family business with, with dad running the show, mom doing the books. How did you, how did you fit into that big family that was all <laughs> in on construction? How did the, how did they accept the architect coming into the family? Yeah, it took a little, it was a, it was, it was kind of a culture shock because, yeah. you know, they had no idea what an architect, they, they really didn't work with architects. I mean, they did, you know, more you know, repair kind of work and small stuff. And so I had to educate Dolores's dad thought I was like, he's an architect, man, that guy should be making all kinds of money. What's wrong with him? You know? So <laughs> I had to, you know, sort of educate him on that, but, um, it, it was a learning experience both sides. First of all, I came from a very small family. I only had one brother and my parents were divorced. And so we really didn't have a family per se. And then I'm adopted into this huge family and, you know, with eight kids and all kinds of, of uncles and aunts and cousins. And that was, for me, that was a blessing because I really, really needed that sort of family environment. I didn't know it, but I did, you know, so, yeah. um, Anyway, they had this wonderful company and they were they were not known for design at all because they didn't have that capability, but they were very, very much known for, you know, their word and doing great work and uh, standing behind their work. And so the, the, the brand was already being being built by mom and dad and, and, and the boys. Um, but around and, and they would ask me on occasion, hey, you're an architect, you know, hey, we have this uh, somebody that wants to do an addition and we need you to sort of sketch it up for us. You know, um, little did they know when they asked me to do that is that I had no idea how to design a home or any kind of residential project at all. <laughs> yeah, you've been because doing ho ho uh, hospitals and commercial work. Yeah, I've been doing ICUs and surgery suites and all that, you know, so to design somebody's addition on their home, although it sounds easy, um, you know, it was a completely different skill set than I had at the time. So I had to sort of, you know, fake, fake it until I made it. Uh, quote unquote. So I started off moonlighting with with the Guerrero family, and that that and when I kind of came to a, a watershed moment in, in my other work, I was set up uh, at the firm I was in. I was set up basically to, to be to become a partner, um, and I just couldn't see myself doing that. And so one day um, the conversation came up with Dolores's brother and I. It's like, hey, why don't you? come on over here to CGNS and we can become a design build company, not just a build company. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. It sounds extremely risky because in 1994, there really weren't a lot of people that knew what that meant, at least yeah. not in the residential field. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we talked about it, talked about, you know, the decision, I made the decision to go ahead and make the leap as a leap of faith uh, and so in the spring of 94, uh, I quit my job at the healthcare firm and started this. <laughs> and so when you, when you did that, when you went to work for, for CGNS, um, as a construction company, now you're coming in as a, as a design, uh, designer architect to start doing this design build, um, how did that go? How was that transition from what they have been doing for a long time to this new idea? It went, it went horribly bad. <laughs> <laughs> for one thing, there were no systems here. There was nothing here. You know, it was me and my drafting table, again, pre-CAD. At least yeah. for me, for me, it was pre-CAD. 
drafting table, parallel bar, and, you know, trying to find a client, trying to find a project. And, you know, so I remember thinking to myself, it's like, what have I, what have I done? You know, what have I got myself into? And the answer that came to mind was, you know, this job or this position or this company is going to be whatever you make it. You know, so I go, well, that's kind of cool. You know, I can actually create something here. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm halfway good at it, then it might be a good idea. So that's, that's what happened. And Mark, for the first, I'd say three or four years, I was a drain on the company's finances. You know, (laughs) I remember, uh, this sounds like a pitiful salary, but I was making like $40,000. Wow. Yeah. And, and I told them, I'm not going to take a cut in pay if I do this. So that, that stretched them out a lot because they, that was to them at that point, that's pure overhead. Yeah. Right. And I remember several years in, I said, this is not working. And I got a lot of pressure from the, 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 the guys here. It's like, you need to start paying for yourself. You know, I don't know how long this is going to go. So it was really kind of dodgy for a while, you know? So what did you do? What did you do to overcome that? Um, I just, you know, I wouldn't give up. My, my mindset was, yes, this is hard. Yes, this looks, doesn't look promising, but I believe, I really believed in, in the potential of being, uh, an Austin-based renovation company with a high level of design and a high level of professionalism and having that integrated model, I just knew that that would work, you know? So it was just a matter of just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, and building on small victories, you know, hey, there's a little bathroom, here's a little kitchen, here's a little addition, and building a portfolio from zero and then, you know, it, 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 it's like a, it's like a curve. The curve is very flat at first, but if you keep going, it starts to incline. Right. Yep. And at some point, like in late, late nineties, that's kind of when st- stuff started to take off, you know? So literally it was a five year uh, leap of faith at that point. But, you know, from the late nineties on in the late nineties, as you remember, that was the dot com boom. And so there was a lot of money. And a lot of projects yeah. that Especially were started at that time. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of caught that and kind of rose up on that. And slowly over the time, over the years, we started adding staff and I actually had somebody that would do the drafting for me. And then I had another architect here and then I had another architect here. And then, you know, so it just kind of built on itself. Well, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE, the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. 
On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and a receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Artcat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's artcat.com slash podcast, A-R-C-A-T, dot com slash podcast detailed every building has a story please visit our sponsors today and thank them thank them for supporting you the entree architect community what did you do early to to market yourself in order to to get that that transition to happen from struggling not kind you know not being able to find the work to finding those 
original small victories? How did you even even find those small <laughs> victories? Yeah, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes. Um, we did some crazy marketing things, like you know, hey, let's do our own workshop and setting setting up in this big room with with a lot of different you know. Uh, topics which didn't go over very well and then we went there's a home and garden show we used to go to every six months and had a nice booth had a nice spiel didn't realize that those were not our those were not our buyers you know those people are looking for the you know the jewelry cleaners and the magic brooms and stuff like that uh and and bringing people in here to workshops and you know just sort of getting the word out what is design build here's what it is Here's why it's a good idea, you know, um, and that it was just sort of trial and error, you know. Um, and we also thought maybe we could um, partner up with architects and interior designers and, you know, do it that way, market that way. But what we found was that those folks looked at us as direct competition or sort of threatening to them because yep. we had we we're a good contractor, but we also had design and uh, that didn't appealed to them very much so that that avenue didn't work but you know i think it was a matter of we always believed in professional photography you know i got that from earlier firms and so everything we did even though they were you know they weren't architectural digest level or even fine home building level but there were interesting features and so we we shot everything professionally we you know paid the money for that and that's i think a very important fundamental then we hired a pr firm to sort of put out the word and she found us, you know, she had the editorial calendars of all the magazines and this is kind of before Pinterest and in house and all that. So these were print, you know, print publications, but we got placed in a bunch of different publications with some projects. And so eventually we wound up getting the cover of remodeling magazine with a project and we were on the cover of fine home building and, you know, uh, anyway, this whole house. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of how it worked. Um, we always also believed in marketing. You know, we, we had, we, we didn't skimp on marketing. So even now with this amazing amount of work, we're still heavily marketing. When, when you first started marketing the firm and, and also today, this is a question for both then and now, um, did you lead with the construction where this is a construction company or a renovation company that, that also offers architectural design or was it a design first uh, approach where you're working with an architect who then also can build the project with the with his company? Good question. Yeah, I think it, it was mainly the latter category. I think we led with architecture and you know design build, and so yeah, it's like we're a really good architect. We've got great design talent, and in bonus there's there's it's architecture with benefits because you also get a contractor along with this yeah that's that's the approach we we decided to take did you you get any pushback from the family on that seeing that they've built this for a generation as a as a construction company now you're sort of shifting what the company's entity or or not entity but identity is Uh, yeah i think it was kind of a mixed bag you know there were three during the heyday of this this early period, there were three brothers that co-owned. First of all, mom and dad sold to three the three boys, and my wife did, didn't get a share because she was a girl. But um, the three have, boys we could have, have a whole episode on just we, that. We'll, we could talk about that for a long time. We'll bring Dolores, we'll bring Dolores back and talk about talk about we'll that. A, that'll be a good one. That'll <laughs> be a good one. Um, yeah, bring out the bring out the Kleenex. Um, 
but now she's the majority owner. So, yeah. you know, uh, ironically, it all worked out. It all worked out. <laughs> um, but, you know, John was big on it. He was proud of it. He was, he was a sort of a forward thinker and he loved it. He loved the architecture first thing. Thomas, his brother, the guy in the field building everything, he didn't think it was worth anything. And then Billy was kind of in between, you know, so it, it was just sort of a spectrum of things. And, there, you know, a family business with three, three brothers and a sister. That's a good podcast right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were there, were there specific challenges that you had to overcome um, with this being a legacy firm, a generational firm that, that uh, started with the mom and dad, they sold to the, to the boys Mm -hmm. Now there's a, a, a daughter and her husband is part of this, this situation. What were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to get to where you are today? Clearly a successful company today. Yeah. Well, you know, I always say that's a good question. I always say it's a, it's pretty much a miracle that we're still here <laughs> because we went through probably four major transitions, family buyouts, you know, one by one, the brothers would buy each other out. And, and in the end we, we bought them out. So, you know, very few companies, I think, could go through that. It was basically a very, very tumultuous time. Um, you know, there's some hard feelings involved. You know, there's sibling stuff going on. Uh, there were a lot of interactions here at the office during those days that were completely un unprofessional. Um, Dad had a problem with, you know, he, he knew that he couldn't do this forever, but this was his baby yeah. and this yeah. was his identity. That's very common. And, and he and it was it was not easy for him to retire. And there were a lot of difficult moments there. And then once we get, got beyond that, we had my wife, who's the general manager, uh, as the little sister. Uh, and whatever she says, you know, was discounted. You know, it's, it's all that family of origin. Those dynamics were intertwined in this in this thing we were doing. So it made it actually harder. <laughs> and there were a lot of times again where I was just kind of back in my space, just you know, getting the work done and trying to ignore all that stuff because yeah. not everybody was on the same page, you know. And family businesses are, 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 are you know, it's a love hate thing where you have all that going on, and then but you also have this intense loyalty to each other, right? You know, yeah, which is huge, you know. So there was a very stable core group, but they weren't seeing eye to eye very much you know so yeah. honestly now it's much much more calm and much more uh, to my liking because we don't have you know they've they've moved on they're doing different things they're retired and, and they're happy they're doing great and now we can do what we want to do you know yeah with with so. the challenges of a legacy firm there's lots of benefits with that that mm. loyalty to to one another you know yes that, well typically you can trust the your family and and um, yes. those, those, those situations are, make things easier also in, in, in addition to the things that are, are more difficult. Yeah. How did, I mean, we, we had each other's backs for sure. Yeah. How did, how did you ultimately end up Dolores and you being co-owners of the company? Is it, was it just through attrition or was there a plan that here's how we're going to do this? And, and, uh, how did, how did that process work? Yeah. A good, good question. Okay. So the three boys were co-owners. One of them uh, left, the other two bought them out. And then there were two co-owners and I wasn't an owner at all. Uh, but Dolores and I, I think the key here, Mark, is that Dolores and I were always acted like owners. Mm. You know, we were in the family. We, we were dedicated to this business. We could see it was a good, a good idea working our butts off. We had no ownership. And, you know, the owners in this situation are 
okay with that situation because they've got the best of both worlds. They don't have to share any of the you know, anything with us other than the salary, and they get total loyalty and, and t- tons of good work. Yeah. So I think what happened, and then so eventually it became one owner, uh, Dolores' brother Billy, uh, and then she and I, you know, went to Billy one day and said, "Look, we've been doing this for a long time. We're all in. We're you know we're loyal. We want." be partners. We want to be owners. We want to share this thing. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't see that too well. He didn't react to that very well, you know? Yeah. And so there were literally, I don't know, five or six or seven years of that going on. And Mark, the funny thing was, it's like, you've got Billy on this side and you've got Dolores and I on this side. And every time we talked about this, he looked at it as, Hey, it's two against one. You know, he felt gang, ganged up on. I'm not going to agree to this. You know, you the minute if it's th- if it's equal shares, third, you know, a third, a third, a third. The first thing y'all are going to do is you know kick me out or whatever. So he, there right. was a lot of that going on. It was really kind of, you know, it was juvenile, but that's what it was. So eventually we said, okay, look, Dolores, you're out of this picture because there's too much there's too much uh, history there. And eventually Billy and I became uh, co-owners, although he had the majority ownership, and then it. Several years later, he, for various reasons in his life, he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. And we've worked out a deal where, you know, we bought, uh, in fact, Dolores is now the majority owner because she bought his shares at 52%. So, you know, but man, what a long process, you know, we could have, I think our company could have been, you know, we're, we're doing well, but we could have been further along quicker if we hadn't had to deal with all that, you know, it just took so long. (laughs) <laughs> well, there, there. You should be commended for it to even be that you survived. Yes, right. That through all of that, and and legacy firms very often don't survive because of all those things that you just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that you were determined and loyal to the company and knew that this was something that you wanted to do forever, you just it sounded like you just waited them out. Exactly right. Now that's not to say that we didn't have conversations constantly about. We're done with this. Let's go. Let's start our own company. Right. But the problem I had with that was that we've got so much invested. Yes. Not 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 money wise, but our life energy. We've got twenty years invested in this thing, and now we're going to go start over. Yeah. It's like I I didn't have the stomach for that. I just don't think I could have done it. You know. Yeah. So well, well, now that you are where you are, you have have ownership, and you're and you're succeeding and, and growing. What does the future look like for CGNS? What is what is what is the next you know five years look like for you? Well, we Dolores and I have set a uh, twenty twenty nine uh, June June twenty third twenty twenty nine. That's my birthday. Um, uh, well, I'll be sixty eight years old at that moment. That's that's where we're out. Okay, so we've. I think the first thing to do is set a date. Yeah. All right. So we've got a date. You know, that's a good seven years off. We have to identify what we wanted to do is we wanted to identify some either family members or key employees and pass the firm on, you know, let them buy in, let them take over. But as it turns out, you know, there's not a lot of takers there right now. You know, uh, we, I have three kids, uh, two of them work with the company. They're in the market. They form our marketing team and, you know, they really have other passions, you know, so they're, they're not going to be, future owners. They don't want to be. Uh, and so, you know, I think what's going to happen, what we're planning on doing now is to, you know, fine tune our systems, become, you know, consistently profitable. 
yeah. quarter after quarter, year after year, and and create a company that is highly sought after, and we're going to sell. Yeah. And, and but we're not there yet. You know, we're we're we don't have the consistent financials we need. You know, um, but I think that's what's going to that's that's our current plan because I, I, so it's it's sort of a it's sort of a sad event because it I don't think it's going to be going to the next generation in terms of the family. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's the mom and dad are just so proud of this place and everybody who's, who knows this or, you know, we have, we've really carried the legacy forward, I think. And, you know, that's going to be the next chapter, you know? So hopefully, you know, that the, the buyer is going to respect that also, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that, that buyer, I'm, you'll have a choice on who buys it. So, uh, you'll be able to look for somebody who has that same passion and respects the mm. history and the legacy of what this firm is. And, and even mm -hmm. though they may not be family and, and you have six and a half, six, seven years still, um, mm -hmm. you never know. Some of your family may come around, right? Um, right. But, but, uh, but even if they don't and you build it into an asset that you can sell, which is great. And you know, that's, that is with a legacy firm. That is one of the the options is to build it into an asset, right? Build your system so there's repetitive systems, um, and, and that way you have something to sell that that it doesn't depend on you being yes. there, it, it, right? You have you have systems in place and you have marketing in place and you have people in place and and you can basically walk away and somebody buy it and turnkey architecture business, you know, business. That's correct. It. Yeah. So we we need to refine our playbook. And our systems and our procedures, and we need to make you know everybody you know. I'm I'm the I'm I'm now doing mainly sales and not architecture. Although I do a good amount of design just conceptually, but you know we don't. As you said, you know the firm is not as valuable if I'm the salesperson and everybody knows me and you know we're, I'm bringing right. all the work in. That that is there's no value to that. And I think you know we never in this company we never promoted individual architects like there aren't i'm not a famous name out there you know stuart davis architect is not a famous name because a long time ago we decided and we've got a lot of talented architects here but they're not name architects right we yep. we don't want that we want this to be a company and so um you know the people who are name architects that are in town what's their plan Right. What's their succession they, plan? They can't sell with with them being the only one that's that's that's, that's the, the brand. It's like a dead end. It's, it's not a smart business model, you know, to me. Yeah. So so by having it this way, the the, inter the people are interchangeable. I mean, they've got all talented and you know cultural fits and all that, but it doesn't depend on anybody, you know, ideally. So that's what we're shooting for. So between now and twenty twenty nine. That's my main goal. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like and a good plan. I, I wasn't thinking about that too much earlier, you know. But yeah, yeah. And now, that, now I am. That's actually something that we at Entree Architect we have uh, uh, several mastermind groups, peer groups, professional peer groups. We have nineteen of them, mm -hmm. and one of them, some of them are specialty groups. Most of them are general architecture uh, peer groups, but but um, some of them are specialty groups, and one of them is a legacy firm group. It is mm. actually a group of architects who uh, are e at either end. Either they're they're preparing to sell, or they are preparing to buy, and mm -hmm. they they meet every week and they talk about strategy and learn from one another and do all those things. So that might be something you might be interested in 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 looking into. If you're interested, I could send you some information on that. Um, absolutely, but, yeah, I'd love to love to know more more about that. Yeah, yeah, 
And so if, if there's anybody else out there also who, who's interested in the legacy firm uh, mastermind group, we can, we'll put links to, uh, to that on the uh, show notes. Mm -hmm. So others mm -hmm. can, can look at that as well. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap up here, Stuart, uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do to today to build a better business for tomorrow? This is a great question for you. This is the question that I ask everybody. Um, because you've grown this, right? You've come, you've, you've been there from the beginning, right? This was a firm that existed. You came in, you've transformed mm -hmm. it into a different type of firm. Now you're building it into a legacy firm that can mm -hmm. be sold. Uh, you've been along this journey every step of the way, right? From an architect's point of view, you've sort of been involved in the, the evolution of this firm from, from at every point of, of view. So what do you think that an architect can do sort of a short term, uh, 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 strategy to, to, to build a better business for tomorrow? The thing that comes to mind, Mark, first and foremost is, you know, um, Try not to be a micromanager. Try not to be a control freak, or you know, have all the decisions run through you. Uh, if you are, if your name is on the firm, um, hire people when, when you can afford to. Hire people that are better than you, smarter than you, and just let them go with it. You know, I mean, yeah, you got to oversee it. I mean, I sign and seal every set of drawings going out of here, so I'm checking on everything, but. I just admire everyone who's here and I, and, and my job is to support them and f make sure they're happy and fulfilled in doing what they're doing. My job is not to cut them down or criticize or to take credit for their work or any of that stuff. You know, that's, that's what I would suggest as boy, you know, if you can get a, a, a tight team like that and they are able to, you know, they make their des design decisions, you might shred it or you might talk about it, but, it's, you know, they have authorship over their work and proud of it. And, and you know, you, you're going to be successful as the owner. It's going to make you more successful. You yeah. know, I had to learn this. I had to give up this ego that I would ego trip. I was on. It's like, nobody's better. Nobody's better than me at this, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's a dead end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very good advice. I mean, that that's, that's the essential uh, formula for success, right? Is to, is to hire good, talented people, build a system which they can work within, right? So you have some sort of control over how things ultimately are outputted and then let them do what they do, right? Yes. Let, the, let those talented people use their talent to make you more successful. Yes, and uh, but having, you know, hold them accountable. Right, right, right. which is part I of mean, the system, that, right. There's that accountability part that, that has to be done, you know, and it's, it's a tricky subject sometimes, but yeah. Um, but absolutely, you know, I, I'm, I'm old, I'm 60, 60 years old. I mean, there's 30 or 40 year old architects here that are doing amazing work. I, I can't do that stuff. You know, I don't think that way. Um, 3D modeling, you know, we do incredible 3D models. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. I admire all that. I, I, and it's just, it's such an asset to our company. And, you know, my job is to let them know how much I appreciate what they're doing and um, get out of their way, basically. You know? Yeah. Good advice. So his, his name is Stuart Davis. The company is CG and S design build. Uh, you can learn more about CG and S at cgsdb.com. CGSDB. We'll have links to that on the show notes. You can just go to the show notes for this episode and we'll have links to everything we discussed today. Stuart, thank you for coming by here to the Entree Architect podcast and sharing your story. Fascinating story. 
Uh, I love the story, fantastic story, um, and for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, my pleasure. Uh, uh, it's an amazing experience. I really appreciate the opportunity. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us and if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real 
to this day, I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.